0: Reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door
1: with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Buffalo's got a spirit, talking
0: proud,
1: talking proud. Listen up, and you hear it, talking proud, talking proud. The good life that you share with nice people who care. It's time to tell them all we. All right, podcast fans, what's going on? How you doing? Episode 219, Talking Buffalo Podcast. Thank you to everyone out there, as always, for continuing to listen, download, support the podcast. It really means a lot to me. I got a few thoughts on Buffalo Bills defensive tackle, Ed Oliver, in hot water after being arrested in Houston over this past weekend. Also got some thoughts on the conclusion of that ESPN Last Dance documentary series, that finished Aaron on Sunday. That ten-parter really captivated the sports world. Certainly captivated me. I'm going to hit on both those a little bit later on in the podcast. Because before that, I have an interview with WKBW TV channel seven in Buffalo morning co-anchor Katie Morse. And I'll tell you what—I had never met or even spoken to Katie prior to taping this interview with her, and I could be more impressed. I mean, I really enjoy talking to her a ton. I still watch a lot of the. TV, Buffalo Newscast, as often as I can. So I already knew that she's a good on-air talent, but she's also a very nice person too. And I mean that. I love the fact that she's Western New York, born and raised, grew up in Amherst, was in Buffalo now. We had a really fun chat. It was a good opportunity, not just for me to get to know her, but obviously for all you listeners out there as well. Again, this podcast is not just sports. It's about good people in Buffalo. So we talk about her growing up in Western New York. And how at around 16 years old, a moment that involved former First Lady Laura Bush that really locked Katie into what she would go on to do with her life. We discuss why she went to Kent State in Ohio for college, some of her previous work prior to Channel 7, how that opportunity to join Channel 7 came about for her, her insanely crazy sleep schedule, has her up at like 2 a.m. most mornings. I mean, she's up before a lot of us even go to bed in the middle of the night i get her thoughts on lots of things a fun fact finale plenty more like i said i'm a big fan of katie's i think she's a great asset to buffalo both professionally but also as a person so like i said i have a few brief sports ramblings following the interview to hit on later on but first up here it is my chat with wkbw morning co-anchor the lovely katie morse All right, my guest today is a morning news anchor at WKBW TV Channel Seven in Buffalo, also Western New York born and raised. Talking about Katie Morse. What's going on, Katie? How you doing?
0: Hi, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me.
1: Excited to have you on. I'm I've grown quite fond of Channel Seven guests on this podcast. I've had <laughs> Matthew on. I've had Jen. I've had Ashley, uh, Rebecca recently, and Anna Munger. I've had a lot of guys on there, man. Good people. So it's good to add you to that list. It is. Yeah, they're
0: a great crew. I'm lucky to be there, lucky to be working with them for sure. All
1: right, so here's the format. I'm kind of sticking to the script of what I usually do when I have somebody on, especially from the news media, and that's giving fans an opportunity to know more about yourself, your life, and your career, as opposed to just talking about your job. Now, certainly we're going to talk about that. But like I said, this is just an opportunity to give fans to know more about you. So before we get to your career and stuff like that, I said it right at the top, you're a Western New York native. Grew up in Amherst. What was it like for you growing up in Amherst?
0: Oh, it was great. Um, I have one brother and he's still local and my parents are still local, which is amazing. It's, a, real blessing to be able to come back to where you grew up and to be able to work here. You know, I worked a couple other places, but then to be able to come here was awesome. It's so great. My friends are still here. You know, a lot of people have moved away over the years, but that was uh, it's been great to come back and reconnect with everybody. Growing up in Amherst was great. I went to um St. Greg, St. Gregory, the Great elementary school, and then I went to Sacred Heart on Main Street in Buffalo. So a lot of the friends that I grew up with and had as kids, I am still really close with. In fact, Probably I see my high school friends um, just about as often as I would see any other friends. We're still really close-knit group. So it's, it's, it was a great place to grow up. I loved it.
1: What were some of the things that you were into as a kid? Were you into sports, theater, singing, just whatever it was? What were things that you enjoyed doing when you were a kid?
0: I mean, I was into singing, but boy, I can tell you, I cannot carry a note to save my <laughs> life. So, <laughs> my family let me know. Um, no, they're really funny about it. But I, did, I, played a, I played softball growing up, and I played uh, all through high school. And then I played intramurals in college, but nothing nothing um, serious. It was just more for fun. And so I did. I played some sports, and it was really mostly softball. I did do some of the musicals. Um, I was never the star of the show, because like I said, I really can't sing. But I did enjoy, enjoy being part of that. Um, uh, yeah, I think those are probably the two things that I did most growing up. Um, and then just kind of enjoyed spending time with family and friends. That's one of my favorite things to do. You know?
1: Yeah, sure. We'll talk fitness a little bit later on. I know that's something that you're into now. Was that the case when you were growing up? Was that something you were always into fitness, physical activities, things like that?
0: You know, I picked up running, uh, not until I got older. Actually, I was living with one of my girlfriends from high school. I lived with a few of the girls when I moved back here. I mean, it was, you know, years after we graduated, but we reconnected, moved back in, in together and I didn't pick up running or anything until, uh, I was in probably my mid twenties. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we always played sports and we'd be out running around the neighborhood. Um, but, you know, nothing, nothing too focused and, and and no running or anything until I got a lot
1: older. Did you know when you were younger that news media broadcasting was something that you were going to want to do as an adult? Like, even when you were young, did you know that? Because I've had tons of, whether it's sports media or news media people on this podcast, and it's really ranged. I've talked to some people who weren't even like six, seven years old, and they were like, All right, I know I'm going to do this. Then I've had some people who kind of started to get that itch in high school. Some people were even in college or beyond that before they decided that this is something I really wanted to do. In your case, what was it for you? Like, when did you first get that itch that you said, you know what, this would be something cool to do in my life?
0: You know, there may or may not be home videos of me with a stick in my lap pretending that it's a microphone trying to (laughs)
1: run around and interview my brother
0: and interview my friends. Uh, So I think I did know that I wanted to do this for a while. There are actually multiple videos. One, I've got a stick. One, I've got a marker. I've got the microphone in my hand, right? Trying to tell everybody what's going on. And so it was always something I was interested in. And then when I was at Sacred Heart, they had this, it's kind of like a shortened news program for geared towards high school students. And they would play it every morning. It was called Channel One. It was 12 minutes long, something like that. And it gave you the headlines for the day, right? Mm -hmm. So when I was there... Uh, high school. I believe I was a sophomore and I'm watching the show and there was an opportunity to write in a question to potentially go interview Laura Bush. And this was going to be at President Bush's inauguration. And so I thought, I'm going to give that a shot. So I wrote in a question and out of all the questions in the country, one of mine was chosen. And so I actually was able to fly to Washington, DC, and I was there for part of inauguration weekend. And I got to sit down with Laura Bush and actually wow. I ended up directing my question to the education secretary at the time, but Laura Bush was there and it was just such an amazing experience. I still think of it. I think I was 16 years old and I can still remember walking through security and, and seeing, you know, Secret Service. And it was just this unbelievable experience. And then in came Laura Bush and I, I just it was just such an amazing opportunity. And so after that happened, I mean I had the bug. Hardcore. Wow. <laughs> that was what I wanted
1: to do. That's yeah. awesome. So you're 16 yeah. years old when that happens. was. I was it, was it yeah. overwhelming for you going to Washington? Just that whole process of seeing what you saw at that age. Was that kind of like overwhelming?
0: It was, you know, and, and you're traveling by yourself for one of the first times, really. Because I mean I was only 16. I don't even think I was driving yet. You know, I it was um uh, it was a really interesting experience. And I don't get that's overwhelming, but in an amazing way. Um, And we did get to see some of the different things that were happening for Inauguration Weekend. And I mean, D.C. was just buzzing then, right, because it's just this huge weekend for them. There's so many people there. And um, I kind of got to see the process that went into the news programming as well, which I think was key for me because you got to see the behind the scenes. You know, you sit there and you watch this news program every day and you think, oh, that's really cool. I, I like what they do. But you don't get to see everything that goes into what they're doing, like the lighting setup, sure. coming up with the questions, formulating the interview. How are we going to do that? You know, and it was so much behind that. And then the storytelling process that I think it kind of gave me that inside look that I had probably been really looking forward to and really looking for. And then as soon as I left there, I thought, OK, I got to look into this because this is what I'm interested in. And, and I want to explore this further in college for sure. Sure,
1: I mean, I mean that's an incredible life event that would uh, propel you to go on and do things. Now, ultimately, you completed your MBA at Canisius College, but you went to Kent State University for school. Why did yeah. you choose to go there? And were there other schools that you considered going to or wanting to go to? Or was it like Kent State for you all the way?
0: <laughs> no, um, actually, because I knew I was interested in broadcasting. My mother's a librarian. This has been a very important thing for me my whole life because she is She knows how to look everything up. She's got the best answers for everything. And so when it came down to colleges and I said, I think I'm interested in broadcasting, she helped me find some of the schools that had really good broadcasting programs. And so then, you know, my parents, they were so great. They toured me to a bunch of different schools and Ohio was pretty close. So we, we took the drive and looked at a couple different schools down there. And um, I really liked Kent from the time that I was there. I was down to a couple of different schools, but they had a, a television station there that you could get involved in right away. And it had a lot of great opportunities. I was able to be in the honors college there. So you could take some, some different kind of advanced classes, which I really appreciated too. So um, that's why I chose Kent State. It was about, I'm gonna say about a three and a half hour drive from Buffalo, just far away enough that, you know, you're away at college, quote unquote, but then just close enough that when you thought, I really want to go home and see my parents for the weekend, which I did often, you know, you could come back home. So it was great. I Ohio, I can't say enough nice things about Ohio. Honestly, it's so similar actually where I was to the people in Buffalo, just their attitudes, their personality, everybody's friendly. Everybody wants to help you. And it was always nice. I always felt at home there as well.
1: I, it's going to drive me absolutely insane because I've had somebody from the Buffalo media on this podcast before who also went to Kent state I'm gonna have to go back and find it. I know there's someone, and then I'll have to DM and let you know. So, actually, Katie Morris, you're not the only Buffalo Media person that went to school at Kent State, but I gotta find out who it is. It's gonna drive me nuts.
0: I mean, I, I do know another person who went to Kent State who worked at Buffalo Media for a while, but she's not here anymore. So, who is it? Caitlin Leonti.
1: Okay, that's not who I'm thinking of. Yeah. It was okay. definitely somebody well, else.
0: See, now look at there are so many Kent Staters. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what what ultimately led you going back to Canisius?
0: Well, so I. Um, I graduated from Kent state and I got my first job. I worked in the North country in New York. So was six, six and a half hours from here up in Potsdam. I started as a bureau reporter for station in Syracuse, but I was in this bureau and I covered a big coverage area up there. So I worked there for a while and then I moved to Syracuse and I worked there for a while. And then when the time Warner station I was working for at the time started a station in Buffalo, I was able to move to Buffalo and help them launch that station, which was another amazing opportunity. So That's when I decided to go back to school. I was back in Buffalo and I had already been working probably four years or so. And I thought, you know, I want to kind of advance my education. And I was working full time. But um, I started with the MBA program at Canisius. And I probably probably took me a few years to complete it, I would say probably about three years because I would work full time. And then at night, I probably did about two classes per semester. So it took a while to finish it. I had to kind of extend it. But, you know, I was working and then doing homework and everything at the same time. So uh, that's why I decided to go back to Canisius because it was a a great opportunity to continue my education and I could fit it into my work schedule. And um, I thought it was just, you know, just something else to give you a more rounded background and just a, a new kind of way to look at different things. As a reporter, I do some business stories. And so it was giving me the opportunity to kind of get an inside look into the business world.
1: Now you talked about a couple of your early jobs, YNN, Buffalo, Time Warner Cable Network. That was in 2009, according to my notes here. Tell me how that opportunity came about. And I'm going to assume, and maybe I'm wrong, but I'm going to assume that the opportunity to come back to your hometown and work was a pretty easy decision for you. (laughs) Maybe I'm wrong. Let me know if I am.
0: Uh, it was on the easier side, I would say, you know, I really enjoyed I had already been working for the company for a couple of years, and I really enjoyed my time there. But then when there was the opportunity to come back home, you know, like I said, my family is here, my many of my friends are here. And I just looked at it as an awesome opportunity too. because to be starting a television station, that doesn't happen very often anymore. So to be launching a station with them in 2009, it was an opportunity I knew I might not get again. So it was really interesting to be part of a startup like that, a 24-hour startup. Here, I mean, they had done it in other parts of um, of the state and other parts of the country, but to launch something was really, really unique. We we were working for a few months before we actually went on air because you know you have to train and you have to get comfortable with the equipment sure. and you have to be prepared to do that 24-hour launch. So um, it was a really interesting experience. I'm so glad I did it because it, it you know made met some amazing people along the way and it it really helped kind of you know, form me into the person I am today, for sure.
1: All right, so when you gave your answer just now about moving back home, something really resonated with me personally. You talked about friends and family and an opportunity to be back home with them. I've spent most of my life in Buffalo. I'm currently in Florida now. I've been down there for a couple of years. but I'm kind of getting that itch as well, where, you no, know, the next decision that's made for me, friends and family are definitely gonna play a big part of it. So how much of a factor was that for you in your decision ultimately to want to come back and have a professional career where you grew up as well.
0: No, oh, it was huge. It really was. Um, yeah. You know, I always, when I was younger, you never know what path you're going to take. And there was a part of me that thought, Oh, maybe I'll live in New York city and maybe I'll live, live in Chicago. And, and I still think that would have been an amazing journey, but I'm so happy I ended up back here, where my friends are, where my family is. And on top of that, in the community that I grew up in because I've watched this community just transform in the time that I've been back here. So I've been back about 11 years now. And when I first moved back the conversation about the waterfront was still, is Bass Pro going to come? What's going to happen, you know, down at the waterfront. And just to think about those being some of the first stories that I did when I moved to Buffalo and where we are today. I mean, what a transformation, right? Just to look at that. And I'm so glad that I, I'm here and got to be a part of that and got, got to see it happen. You know, sure. I'm going to tell my kids about that someday.
1: <laughs> now, before we talk about channel seven, what did you learn at YNN that's really went on to help you in your broadcasting career?
0: Oh my gosh. You know, I, they did some wonderful training. I, um, I think they helped me really become a, a great shooter. I, I, as much as I, I, love writing and, um, you know, I love anchoring the news, but I also really <laughs> enjoy shooting when I do stories. I, I really, shoot, write, and edit them myself for the most part. Sometimes I'll go off with a photographer if I need to, but I really love having a camera in my hand because I can be creative. I love finding those creative shots and those different kind of sequences of what someone's doing to show that to the audience and to really help tell your story. So I really credit uh, some of the people that I worked with in the past for teaching me how to really shoot a story in an awesome sequence that, that really relays what's happening to the viewer. And so I really think that that was, that was a great experience there. And also the 24 hour news cycle is really, it's, it's something to behold for sure because it's constantly, it's constantly moving. And so I think it was a great first news experience, a good you know place for me to kind of hit the ground running because it gave me a lot of opportunities. And I really, I learned a lot while I was there.
1: Sure. Now you were there for a little, over five and a half years. And then you got hired by WKBW in October of 2014. And obviously you've been there ever since. How did that opportunity come about for you to go to channel seven?
0: So I was an intern at channel seven in 20. Let me think in 2005, I was an intern at channel seven. So I was still in college and I did it for one summer and it was a great experience. And there were still a number of people who I had worked with when I was an intern who were at Channel 7. So it was just maintaining relationships and the opportunity came along and it was something that I was really excited about. So when I started at Channel 7, I started working four nights a week. I was reporting and then Sunday nights I would anchor the news. And Ed Dranch and I started, gosh, I'm going to say within two weeks of each other. And so then we were anchoring the news together. We kind of became a team and um, we worked the same night shift too. So we were together all the time. And so that was a great opportunity, too, because I made a friend there, but also another coworker who, you know, you could bounce ideas off of and you could work together. And so then we did that for about a year. And then the opportunity to anchor the morning news came along and they decided to put us as a team on the morning news. And so that was just another wonderful opportunity. And, you know, I really love mornings. It you know, you're up very early. <laughs> we call them mornings. Some might call them nights.
1: <laughs> I was going to ask you that. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I was going next, Katie. Because I'm yeah. like, I am absolutely fascinated by the schedule that people that do morning news have. Whether it's on TV like yourself, I've had Melissa on on Channel 2 before and talked to her about the same thing. Or Jeremy and Howard Simon who do the WGR Sports Talk Radio. They're on the air at six o'clock every morning. What's your sleep schedule like? What's let's, let's the... Daily routine in your life when it comes to getting enough rest.
0: Oh gosh. Okay. So I probably try to go to sleep between seven and eight PM because I am into the office by three most days. And we go on air at four thirty. Mm-hmm. So uh, probably like seven to eight I go to bed. We've got blackout curtains. <laughs> I say night <laughs> to my husband and I, you know, I go and uh try to knock out for a few hours. But yeah, so that's that's um the schedule. I'm i, I sleep in the evenings, really, when, you know, other people, but you know what, everybody who is friends with me is kind of used to it now. Like they'll all say goodnight to me around six or seven or if they never really need to get hold of me, they'll text me by then. And then I, I go to sleep and get up usually around uh, like two or so because I'm into the office by three. We're on air at four 30. So you're wow. ready to
1: go. <laughs> How much of a process was that for you? How long did it take to get used to your body having that type of sleep schedule where you're basically sleeping at night? Like right now we're taping this. Right in the late morning, this interview to air. And for me, this is kind of early morning for you. You've been up for many hours now.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, You know, my body, I would say is used to it now. And I do try to take a nap too, because I just think that that probably helps most days. But yeah, I I think your body kind of gets used to it. I mean, there's probably a part of you that will never get used to it, right? Because we're used to the circadian rhythm and you know, we want to sleep when it's dark. But um, kind of, I'm one of those people that when my feet hit the floor, I'm awake. So as long as that happens, I'm, I'm moving, you know, and I've kind of always been like that when I had roommates back when I lived with a couple of my friends, they would say, are you kidding me? You are so awake in the morning. I just am. <laughs> That's how I am. Um, but you know, the flip side is that by nine o'clock at night I am half asleep on the couch. I, I cannot stay up late and I, you know, I just don't make it out on those big party nights anymore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what would you consider like your favorite and your least favorite parts about being a morning anchor? Because I'm sure there's, some days where it's like, this isn't the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. You know, it goes both ways with any job. So what's your favorite yeah. and least favorite things about it?
0: Well, I would say my my favorite would probably be the people that I get to work with on a daily basis. I really love our morning show team, Ed and Aaron Mankowski. Oh my gosh. Those two just crack me up nonstop. So we have a really good dynamic in the morning. And and I think that it comes across, I think that people see that we are actually pretty close friends and I think that um, they kind of get a kick out of it too because they'll join in. It's the funny thing about social media, right? People can kind of join in on the jokes and the conversations that's sure. happening and we've got our computers with us too. So, you know, we'll make a joke. We'll be laughing about something and I'll get a message from somebody about it because they've been watching. So I would say it's that dynamic And and, you know, when you enjoy the people that you work with, it makes it so much less like work because you are just laughing and having a good time. I would say the difficult part would probably just be the, the, schedule issues. It's hard to sleep sometimes in the summer when you want to, you know, just kind of hang out outside and and enjoy the evenings. It it is difficult to say, okay, no, it's, you know, seven o'clock. I have to go to bed. Right. right. (laughs) That's probably the hardest part.
1: How important is the chemistry that you have with the people that you're on the air with, the people that you work with every day? Because to me, chemistry is not something that you could fake. I feel like if the chemistry is not there, the people who are watching are going to see Right through it. Like, is it a process to develop chemistry? Like say with Ed for an example.
0: Yeah. Well, so uh, since Ed and I started working at the same time at channel seven, we kind of went through the whole training process together and we were teaching each other stuff and kind of learning things at the same time. So I think that that really helped us. I had known him ahead of time too, cause we were both working in Buffalo. So um, we kind of knew each other, you know, as fringe friends and then became really good friends as we started working together every single day. and We sit next to each other, too. So um, I I think chemistry is really important because everybody has those people at their work that they they kind of click with and they have a good time with and that they can sit there and, and that they want to go out, you know, and have a glass of wine with at the end of the day, too. And so I can say that about both Ed and Aaron. I mean, they're both great people. We We go out and have a good time together. And um, like, we'll bring all of our significant others out and go out and have a good time. So I think that I think chemistry is really important. I, I agree with you. I, I don't I don't think that if it's faked, no one knows. I, I, I think that you see through that. Right. And I think sure. that viewers see through that. And so I think that, um, yeah, it's it's vital for a, a good, you know, morning show atmosphere. You want to wake up with people who you feel like are having a good time, right? You want to have a good time with them. And, and I can assure people that we are having a good time. Sometimes when we come back from those commercial breaks, if those two are joking about something, you can even see that we're laughing. And we'll, we'll comment about it too. Sometimes we're like, we're sorry. We were laughing just now in the
1: commercial, <laughs> you know, because
0: somebody right. said something funny. But yeah, they're they're a great team for sure.
1: Now, obviously we had to spend a couple of minutes here talking about COVID-19, how it's just, yeah. it's a everybody's been affected, obviously, from the pandemic in some way, shape or form, yeah. whether it's physically, emotionally, your job, just the way life goes on for you right now. What's been the effect for you as a anchor and as a reporter? Because obviously you're not in the studio, a full studio, the way it's always been for you. Like what have been the biggest adjustments for you getting set up and working in the manner that you have to work at for right now anyway? Well, the biggest
0: adjustments work-wise have been not seeing everybody on a day-to-day basis anymore. So we are keeping one morning anchor in at a time. So Ed and I are flipping off every other day. I'm working from home and then he's working from home. So that's another adjustment is that I've got my, you know, work from home set up here. And, you know, technology has been amazing. We are able to get a signal. i you know, I sit in my living room and then, you know, we can broadcast from here and I've got a microphone plugs into my phone and you know, we've got the lighting all set up. I would say it, it. the hardest part as far as the show goes is that you're kind of dealing with a little bit of a delay. So you're tossing to each other and, uh, you know, you just, it's not like I'm there nudging him on the arm like I usually am, right? Because he's right next to me. So I would say that's the biggest challenge work-wise. And then I've been out in the field just a little recently. And, you know, you're social distancing, you're taking every precaution while you're out in the field. And it's an unusual feeling, I think, sometimes because when we are shooting a lot of the time, we're getting nice and close to the subjects that we're shooting. And we're, you know, we want to get those close ups. We want to really connect with that person. But you're keeping your distance. Our our photographers and reporters, everybody's wearing masks. They've got poles. So they're able to stay that six feet away while they're doing their interviews. And, um, you know, it's really it's changed a lot of those different dynamics. I think I I marvel at the way our station is still putting out such an incredible incredible product because, um, you know, we're doing zoom meetings in the morning instead of doing our normal morning meetings at a conference table, everybody uses zoom and we connect that way. And I think that just the way that it's been working is, is truly incredible, but it's absolutely difficult for everybody. I think that, and I think anyone, no matter what business you work in, I think you miss seeing people's faces on a day-to-day basis and you miss having those moments with the people you work with.
1: Sure. And I can't even imagine how challenging it must be to put together a newscast several times a day, on a TV station, it's got to be crazy. Now, do you think and this has nothing to do with COVID, but do you think in some ways that growing up in the town that you cover on the news for a living, that it could be a little advantageous to you because, you know, the communities and, you know, the region, like the back of your hand. Do you th- does that matter? Sure. Does that matter?
0: You know, I I think that a lot of reporters, whenever they move somewhere, will do their best to learn so much about the community. So I think that, you know, it can absolutely, a lot of it can be learned. But so much of it, when I moved back here, was, you know, let's say we need to talk to someone who's a hairstylist. Oh, I I know, you know, this, you know, you know, these people and you grew up with them. And um, yeah, it's been really nice because my friends are, you know, in the positions now where sometimes I can call them and say, hey, can I interview you about X, Y and Z? Because they are the experts now because they've been working for so long. So you're right. And, and you do see, you know, how all of the communities work together and you kind of, you know, the political structure, you know, all of the, you know, you know sports teams. <laughs> you, yeah. know, you grew up knowing um knowing a lot about that so yeah I do there's probably somewhat of a home field advantage I'm not saying it can't be learned you know because someone a lot of people move here and then it becomes their home you know sure. it's just such a welcoming wonderful place so I think that you know that that could definitely happen to someone who wasn't you know from here initially but for me uh, coming back here was just it was great and it, it was nice and it was funny too because you know, you'd hear from like your old softball coach. You said, Oh, I was watching you on the news today, <laughs> or like somebody, you know, <laughs> that your parents' friends are watching you. So or your mom's texting you about what you're wearing that day. So it's been it's a really it's so fun to be able to to work in the area that you grew up in.
1: Now one of the things you alluded to earlier was social media. I wanted to ask you about your take on social media, because on one hand, it gives you an opportunity to connect with your audience on a more personal level, obviously. You have a story to put out, you can get it out for the world to consume instantly. But there's also an ugly side to social media, more specifically Twitter and Facebook, where there's just trolls and mean people out there who just want to incite reactions from news media personalities, celebrities, anyone really. Like, how do you balance that? I'm sure you've encountered a couple jerks as well <laughs> along the way. You know what I mean? Like, what's your take? What's your stance when it comes to social media? Are you active on it? Do you enjoy it?
0: Yeah, well, I'm I'm very active on it for work. Um, it is definitely an incredible tool for what we do. It gives you different story ideas. It, like you said, it allows you to connect with a lot of people. I think it's been really impressive lately how people have been using it to connect, to stay, feeling that sense of normalcy, right? Because we're dealing with COVID-19, I do think that you have somewhat of a community feeling there. And I can appreciate that side of it. Um, and I think it's great when people can reach out to you with story ideas or with concerns. I, I love that aspect of it. I hate the mean aspect of it. It's so tough. You know, uh, everybody says, don't read the comments, right? That's what we all say to each other. Don't read the comments. But Sometimes you can't help but read the comments. Or if you're really proud of something you did, you want to read the, the comments. And, and it only takes a couple of people to, um, you know, really put somebody down or to, to, to say something that, that can really hurt feelings. And I just, I, I hate to see the meanness. I try to keep it on my personal pages as, as friendly as possible, you know? And I think that, um, you know, while, while we all have thick skin in this business, I think you kind of develop a thick skin. It can be tough when you see, see stuff like that. Sure. So I don't appreciate the meanness for sure. And I, I try to kind of stay away from it when, when, you know, if someone gets like that, I, you know, I just, I I mostly try to ignore. I don't engage.
1: That's just how I I operate, you know? Yeah, definitely. Now you've been in Western New York pretty much all your life. You left for school. You worked away from Buffalo for a while, but you've been here most of your life. What is it about Western New York that you love the most?
0: Oh, Oh my gosh. So many things. Um, I love the sense of community. I love, and you know, what about the sense of community is that, Not only does it exist in, you know, Western New York as a whole, but in all the different little communities, Sure. because I grew up in Amherst, but now we live in Buffalo and, you know, we'll go down to Orchard Park and, and how great is Ellicottville? You know, there's so many different unique places here, which I just think is amazing. So I love that about it. Um, I also love three of the four seasons. (laughs) You can guess which one is not my favorite. Yes. (laughs) But I really do. I, I love spring. I'm sitting here talking to you, looking out the window and, you know, the trees are all budding on my street. It's gorgeous. And then we've got summer, you know, which is so wonderful with the waterfront and uh, fall is by far my favorite. And when you're in Western New York in the fall, I mean, to go to like fall festivals and to, you know, go apple picking, like we get these great seasons that so many other areas don't get. Now, you know, I'm not a huge winter fan. I take the winter. It is what it is. And I know I grew up in Buffalo. I lived in Buffalo, yeah, you know, but when it lasts as long as it did this year, I'm like, okay, ready? Let's get this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you, man. I'll tell you what, you said sense of community that resonates with me as well, because Again, being down here in Florida, I get asked this question a lot, like a comparison between Florida and Buffalo. And I always say that it's not better or worse. It's just so different. Obviously, the weather is the biggest thing and the water, the beaches, stuff like that. But what I miss most about Buffalo is exactly what you said. That sense of community. It's legit and it's real. Down here in Florida, I'm not saying people are bad people. They're good people. But it's more like, all right, this is one big town and everyone just kind of keeps to themselves. That's not really the case in Buffalo, regardless of whether it's Amherst or Orchard Park, Hamburg, the West side, wherever it may be. It's legit community stuff in Buffalo. And I think only yeah. people that live in Buffalo understand what I'm, what you're talking about and what I can relate to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, my my mom grew up in Riverside. And so last week, my husband and I were just driving around. He's like, where do you want to drive to? I said, I want to drive to Riverside and I want to drive down my grandma's street, you know, and so when you're back where you grew up, it just, you feel that sense of community when you're driving around and you're just looking at the things that, you know, and you're thinking back, Oh, this used to be like this when I was younger and and we used to play over here. We used to do this. And you know, when we're driving around, he grew up in Connecticut. So when we're driving around, I'm telling him all these stories about when I was growing up and I can point out all all these different places (laughs) and different things we used to do.
1: Yeah, for sure. Now, another big thing about Buffalo is wings and pizza. Now, Everyone varies. I'm a huge wing, wings guy, to a lesser extent, pizza. What about you? Are you Do you like chicken wings? And if so, like what are a couple of your favorite spots? Or if not wings, pizza.
0: So I'm much more of a pizza person mm-hmm. than wings. I mean, I would say I'm <laughs> fair game on both. I will certainly be eating both. But yeah, I like pizza um, a lot. I really loved Picasso's pizza growing up. One of my favorites. Now, they're just a little bit farther away than... They used to be for us because we moved down to Buffalo. So we've been doing a lot of Bob and John's. <laughs> we like that. that on Hurdle? Is that on Hurdle? Yep. yep. I love that place. Love yes. it. Yes. Oh, we do too. And then um, Bocce's too. It's really tough to to dislike a Bocce's pizza. It's so good. So those are some of our favorites. I, I, you know, and wings too. I like to go to Wellington for wings. Coles for wings too. Mm-hmm. Got some really, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been known to eat. So let me tell you, <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to do.
1: <laughs> I love that area. Now another one of your favorite things to do, and we talked about this earlier, is I read that you teach or have taught spinning, swimming classes, and that you enjoy <laughs> yeah. running. So fitness is very important to you, right? Well, yeah, if I'm going
0: to eat so much pizza, I got to be out there doing something,
1: right? (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah, I can't say the uh, same. I
0: I know, right? I, um, so I, I, like I told you, I took up running when I got a little bit older, and um, I I have enjoyed it. I've done a couple of half marathons, and it was a really nice, just different accomplishment for me because I just hadn't done it. Swimming, too, I, you know, I didn't mention that when we talked earlier, but I, I swam as a child, not in high school, but. I just always love swimming, so I still. Well, the gym unfortunately closed now because of you know COVID nineteen everything we're dealing with. But I love going in swimming laps. I still swim laps very often when I can, and I teach um, little kids how to swim. I love little kids, and just they're just so fun to to teach and to interact with. So I still teach them how to swim. I teach. Um, I'll fill in on some spinning classes, but I I teach regularly a hydro spin class, which is spinning in the water. So you put. Uh, uh, what is the equivalent of, let's say, a spin bike into the water and you actually do a spin class while you're there.
1: That's really cool.
0: Yeah, it's a different kind of workout for sure. And people really like it. So I really, I enjoy teaching it.
1: Cool. All right, last question here. And then we're going to end with the fun fact finale. Got to ask you the age old advice question. You never know who may be listening that you might have an influence over an aspiring broadcaster, newscaster out there. For anyone out there who may be interested And having a career in the same field that you've carved for yourself right now, what's the best advice that you can give them?
0: Find every opportunity that you can. Do everything to find all of those interesting opportunities. Like I was telling you about, you know, putting in a question to a contest to possibly interview Laura Bush. Never thought I would get chosen. I was chosen. It was a really unique opportunity and it helped shape the rest of my life. Internships, if you're younger, find those internships, find those opportunities, make those connections, and then keep those connections, foster those relationships, because you never know when that person, you know, might have a a lead on something for you, or, you know, maybe you can help them down the road. So not only would I say find every opportunity, but then I would also say when you found those opportunities, make sure that you're turning around and you're holding your hand out and helping those people who, who need help now, because that's what it's all about, um. Actually, I, I didn't get a chance to mention this, but I'm the president right now of the Buffalo Broadcasters Association, oh. and that's been a huge thing that we're doing. We are we do a lot of mentorship programs, and we're doing a lot of things with students because you know it's such an important thing that when you've you've got a nice job, you, you found a, a thing a wonderful thing that you love in your field, you want to get back there and you want to give to to those who are still you know coming up and learning more, and you want to you want to give of yourself too. So that's something that's really important to me.
1: Excellent advice. Excellent. All right. So we're going to end fun fact finale. Just a bunch of random questions. Not a lot of deep thought required. Whatever the first thing that pops in your mind, that's going to be your answer. You good <laughs> oh, to go? Scares you... me.
0: Okay. All right. Let's do it.
1: All right. Your favorite all-time athlete?
0: Dustin Pedroia.
1: Okay. Ooh, Red Sox fan. All right. All right. <laughs> favorite city that you visited that's not, or been to that's not in Western New York?
0: Ooh, that's a tough one. Probably Venice.
1: Venice. Venice is in Italy or Venice is in yeah. Florida.
0: <laughs> Venice, Italy. <laughs> All right.
1: Nice. Who is your first celebrity crush that you can remember?
0: Oh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. That would be me and every other girl who grew up when
1: I did. <laughs> <laughs> What's your go-to snack? Like you wake up in the middle of the night, well, not the middle of the night, early in the night, because you're up for good by around two o'clock, but you wake up halfway through your sleep and you're like, oh, I need a snack or something. <laughs> what? What is it?
0: Oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing, but my husband would make fun of me if I didn't tell the truth. I love noodles, any kind of noodles. If there's macaroni <laughs> and cheese left over in the fridge, I'm eating it. If there were noodles for some sort of dinner.
1: <laughs> that'd be All right. What movie have you probably rewatched more than any other one? Hmm.
0: Probably The Sound of Music.
1: Okay. That's a good one. What would you consider your worst habit? Like, you're going to call your cell phone now. What's your worst habit? I can be
0: a little bit of a know-it-all sometimes. And I hear myself being like that. And I try to tell myself to stop.
1: <laughs> Isn't every single person in the media ever a know-it-all? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Name a TV game show that you feel like you could potentially dominate if you were on it. Whether it's something current, past, whatever. Just a game show you think you do well on.
0: Mm. I feel like I would have been really good on Supermarket Sweep. I really think that I could have found the items that were worth the most. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I move fast. And I would have loaded them into the cart.
1: (laughs) At first, I didn't know what you were talking about. I'm like, huh? But then as soon as you started describing it, like, oh, I remember that.
0: Right. Yeah. Where you like go for the big cuts of meat and the diapers and you're throwing it all into the car. I feel like I
1: could be good at that. All right. So here's the next question. And I've resisted laughing very early in our interview when you talked about you cannot sing when you were young, things you like doing. Here's the question. Instead of doing this interview via phone, 1300 miles away from each other right now, let's say we're at uh, the Wellington Pub, I Hurdle. heard of. We're having some pizza and a beer. And let's just say they got some karaoke going on right now. And in this world, you are a good singer, okay? So you're going to get up there. Katie Morse is going to grab the mic. What song are you going to rock out or are you going to sing that's going to get the crowd there on their feet singing along with us? A rock song, a ballad, whatever it may be. Something that they're going to be into. Like, what's your, at least in your own mind anyway, because I'm just like you. I suck at singing. But I like to think that... <laughs> What would I do? Like, what would be your signature karaoke song? Friends in Low Places. Okay, Garth Brooks, I like it. Mm-hmm, I
0: love country music. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows at least that chorus. So that's, that's the key to karaoke is getting everybody else involved. Absolutely,
1: <laughs> absolutely. That would be a big hit. All right, last couple here. If you had never gotten involved in this industry in any fashion at all, or if you tried it and it just didn't work out for you, what do you think? you may have went on to do with your life. Oh, let me think. People ask you this all the time, you know, and it's just such a, it is by the way, respect for having tunnel vision. Like you knew this is what you wanted to do and you didn't spend a lot of time thinking about (laughs) (laughs) backup plans that I like. I respect that. I like that.
0: I would say if I didn't do what I do now, I think that I would, I might be interested in doing something in the business world. Probably. Um, I don't know. This is a terrible answer for you. I'm really sorry. Um,
1: <laughs> well, you just gave me the promo for the for this when I put it out on Twitter. The the show, how I stumped Katie Morse. The question, the question that I had to ask her.
0: This is a terrible answer. This is a true. Um, yeah, I don't know because I mean, I just always really did want to do this. I guess if I if I didn't do this, I would probably do something in the business world, maybe public relations, maybe some sort of marketing, something along those lines. And it's so similar, you know, in in a way to what I do now. I guess something like that probably. All right,
1: that's fair. Last <laughs> two questions here,
0: and you're probably like, oh my gosh, because Katie's. <laughs> I don't even <laughs> want to ask her another question.
1: <laughs> Take care no, no, no. All right, what's what's a fun fact about you that most people might not know gosh
0: well people tend to know okay i'll say a fun fact that people might not know is that i am polish and one of the few things that i can cook is i can make a mean pierogi (laughs)
1: okay i Uh like that
0: all (laughs) right i really am not a good cook but i'll tell you what i've perfected that because i've been doing it with my family over the decades (laughs) so (laughs) i can make a mean pierogi
1: all right. Last question here. And this one's always hard, especially if you don't know ahead of time that it's coming, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Oh, great. <laughs> so I want you to take three dinner guests from any era, dead or alive, celebrity, whoever at any point, and you could have them tonight over for dinner, some, some eats, maybe a couple drinks, whatever have you, a conversation. If you could have three people, anybody on earth that you want to have at your dinner table tonight, who would it be?
0: Well, I know who one of the, Julie, uh, I'm sorry, Lucille Ball would definitely be one. Okay. She would just be a trip, I think. So I'm going to say, I feel like I would like to do an interesting mix here. So I would like to go with Pope Francis. Okay. And who would be a good third one? I love David Muir, too. I think he'd be really interesting to talk to.
1: I love this exercise. We're talking it out now. <laughs> I'm talking to myself.
0: I'm really sorry. I'm bad at this kind of stuff. I think. Um, Lucille Ball. Okay. Pope Francis.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Princess Diana.
1: Princess Diana. That's a good group. So you have... I think
0: that that would be a really interesting to hear from all of them.
1: It would, and Lucille Ball would keep it light because she'd be cracking you up constantly. <laughs> That's
0: what she does. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that was fun. All right, everyone, give Katie a follow on Twitter at Katie Morse News. Of course, check her out. Mornings on channel seven. Thanks for doing this. It was a lot of fun getting to know you. Hopefully, fans got a lot out of this. And uh, you were awesome, man. Thank you so much.
0: Oh gosh. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. I really appreciate it.
1: All right, that was Katie Morse. Great job, Katie. So before I get out of here. Just a couple of quick sports thoughts. I kind of alluded to this at the top of the show. First up, and obviously not a good look for the Buffalo Bills whatsoever. Star defensive tackle Ed Oliver, first round pick just a year ago, arrested in Houston over the weekend on charges of DWI and unlawful possession of a weapon. Reaction from fans, as you'd expect, is pretty much radical on both sides of the fence. And in my opinion, anyway, both are extremely exaggerated in the wrong. There's the camp out there that says the bills are truly about culture and character that Ed Oliver is now a bad fit and should be cut immediately. Of course, that's absolutely asinine, stupid, ridiculous. I haven't said that though. I'll tell you what. There's also the other camp that says the kid is just 22 years old and... Simply made a mistake and mistakes happen all the time. We make them all the time and he'll be fine. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to be honest with you here. That's equal crap to me as well. Ed Oliver is not a kid, okay? It's not a kid. It's 22 years old. That's an adult. That's a young man. Not a boy, young man. It's an NFL player. It's a rich young man. He knows, he knows. It comes with responsibilities. He's not stupid. At least not that we know of anyway. And he's old enough to know right from wrong. He has no excuse to be drinking and driving. And I don't know much about the weapon stuff yet. But again, and Oliver knows the law. And I got aggravated when I hear, well, we're all young and dumb. We all make mistakes. I mean, sure, that is true. It doesn't make it right. And the majority of us, guess what? We don't live with a microscope under us, and that's the price you pay. That's what you sign up for when you're rich or when you're famous or both. And in the case of Ed Oliver, kind of both. If I get a DWI, if you get a DWI, let's be honest here. Nobody really gives a shit other than maybe the family, maybe an employer, a couple of your closest friends. Now what Ed Oliver did Quite probably is going to lead to a suspension, probably a multiple game suspension, three games maybe. That directly hurts his team. That hurts the Buffalo Bills organization. So yeah, I'm not just going to brush it off as just a, a young and dumb mistake. His absence, that could have a direct impact on the Bills. could have a direct impact on their record this season. So anyway, sure, it happened. Hopefully he learns from it. No, I don't know Ed Oliver personally. Seems like a smart person. Seems like a good guy. A guy who did something really stupid. It's a bad look for him. It's a bad look for the organization. It's not the end of the world. Just got to hope that something like this never happens again. He's a very good football player. And his suspension hurts his team on the field. The other thing that I wanted to hit on before I get out of here, that Michael Jordan Last Dance documentary that wrapped up 10-part series, Sunday Night ESPN. I got to say, probably my favorite documentary series, that I've ever seen. Certainly the best sports one I've ever seen. Absolutely fantastic from start to finish. It really was. I got a few takeaways. I'm just going to touch on them for now. And then maybe on the show later in the week, I'll have a guest on. We'll deep dive into them a little bit more. But I, I do. I have a few unexpected takeaways that I didn't necessarily realize before watching all 10 episodes. And let me say this too. Okay, I absolutely love the NBA I love the NBA more than most people. And I especially love the 80s and 90s NBA. So this was incredible for me to watch. Brought me back a lot of memories, but there are also things I didn't remember or didn't know that I never knew. Anyhow, a few things, again, that really stuck with me. I didn't realize how big Steve Kerr was to that team, how important he was and what a winner the dude is. I mean, I didn't know the story at all, to be honest with you, about his father and how he was assassinated, that really sucked. That was hard to watch, very painful. You can see the emotion in Steve Kerr all these years later, and I get it, I understand. I love the dynamic between Steve Kerr and MJ and how Kerr won his trust over time. Again, just what a winner Steve Kerr is. You're talking three wing, three rings with the Bulls. Uh, he won another the very next year, playing with the Spurs. Then, of course, three more rings as head coach now at Golden State. That, that was a real standout part of the series with me. Another one too is I know Jerry Cross was a dick, an egomaniac. You could tell players hated him. I totally see why. And his ego kind of killed any chance to win that seventh ring. But even having said all that, I still don't think Jerry Cross got enough credit in this documentary series, if I'm being completely honest. Michael Jordan's the best player to ever play basketball. he ain't winning those six rings without Jerry Cross. I mean, that guy, aside, again, aside from Michael Jordan, obviously the best player, but aside from that, Jerry Cross built that team brick by brick. He's the one he traded up for Scottie Pippen in the draft, and he took Horace Grant in that same draft. He traded for Bill Cartwright, who wasn't a great player, but he was a great player defensively. He really helped the Bulls get over the hump with the Knicks, defending Patrick Ewing. He traded for Dennis Rodman. He filled out the roster with great role players through both runs, both repeats. Sharpshooters like Kern, John Paxson, B.J. Armstrong, who he drafted, by the way, Craig Hodges. Ron Harper was incredible defensive guard, one of the best in the NBA. Good role players, big guys that he found like Luke Longley and Wellington, Will Perdue. And Jared Cross was a, a craftsman at, building these teams. And yeah, sure. Like I said, his ego and Reinsdorf not wanting to pay these guys. That's ultimately the reason why maybe Chicago didn't win even more rings. But still, who again, in fairness to the documentary makers out there, he died in 2017. So it's not like he could defend himself in the dock. It's a legendary GM. You got to give it up to him. One of the best that the sport has ever seen. Anyway, though, having said that, again, a great TV series. And with no real sports to watch, it came at a time where we probably needed it more than ever. So, hats off to the filmmakers, to Michael Jordan, the ESPN. It really was. It made for five straight great Sundays. And frankly, don't know what the hell we're going to do now without that on Sundays. But anyway, that was fun. And on that note, that is going to do it for this episode. Very big thank you again, Katie Morse, Channel 7. Loved having her on. She was great. Don't forget, if you have not subscribed yet, please go ahead and do so. A rating review really helps me continue to grow this podcast. You can also find us on YouTube, Talking Buffalo Podcast YouTube channel. Follow me on Twitter, at Tweets. Thank you again very, very much for listening. I truly appreciate each and every single one of you. Stay safe. Have a good week, and I'll be back. Brand new show on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.